This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. And amen. You may have a seat. The band had another song. I just did it again where I felt like the Lord just said it's time. So I apologize. Maybe you can do it later. Just hold it. A time is coming. Oh, isn't God good? Amen. I want to thank you for being here today. I know we have some guests today. I know some of you didn't get to meet me last week. I was at home on a, uh, a um, quarantine. Nobody in my home was sick, but there was some potential exposure, and we wanted to make sure that we were safe and and so uh, I heard that um, Brother Asif did an amazing job and brought an on-time word last week. And, and what I want to do is, is I want to continue and pick up kind of where we were in our series on Haggai. We spent kind of the first three weeks of this on chapter 1. And, and today we're going to be going into chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. So if you'll go with me there today, Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. We're going to get there in a minute. But I just want you to know it's good to see you. It, I, we, we, we are honored to be here and to be your pastors. It's, it's crazy to think that it's already been over two and a half years since we've been here. And Lord's done some pretty awesome and amazing things. I really didn't get a chance to do it last week, uh, obviously because we weren't here. But I wanted to, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Uh, my wife and I wanted to thank you for the uh, amazing blessings that we received on Pastor Appreciation just a couple weeks ago. Um, we felt uh, very much appreciated and uh, Again, we are the blessed ones. I, I, I don't know that you are, but I think that we are. We are blessed to have you uh, with us today. Just kind of give you a little bit of context on where we are in this series. We're in Haggai chapter 2. Um, spent the last three weeks again on chapter 1. And, uh, and, and, to, and again, to give you context, this is what's kind of been going on. We had a people who were just excited about the things of God. They had a zeal. They had a passion. The Persian king, King Cyrus, allowed them back to their homeland for the sole purpose of rebuilding the temple. And the rebuild began. It, it started, but then the Lord gave warning to them to give careful thought to your ways. Because they had built for themselves houses of luxury while leaving the house of God in ruin. So because of that, God withheld the blessings from them due to their sin and their selfish nature. God's work was neglected. It said, because of my house, which remains a ruin. God's people were content. It said that while each of you is busy with your own house. And then empty excuses were given, um, were offered for not doing God's work. As a matter of fact, the Bible said in um, chapter 1, verse 2, that it said, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. They were self-centered they were worldly-minded people, and because of that, the consequences were that the relationship with God was marred, and God withheld the blessing from them. So now enter the prophet Haggai, who came and spoke the word of the Lord over the people. And when the prophet spoke, the people's attitude toward God changed. When he spoke, the attitude towards God's servant had changed. And when he spoke, the attitude towards God's word had changed. And the work of the temple resumed. The work of the temple 
resumed. So that's where we find ourselves today, Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Would you read with me today? On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. He said, speak to Zerubbabel, speak to Joshua, and speak to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its other glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, says the Lord. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And what's it say? And work. What do you think's going on here? They started the work, they stopped. They started the work. And the Lord's now telling them to get back to work again. So a time has now come in less than a month where they've gotten so discouraged that the work stopped yet again. And the, and the, and the Bible says that the Lord told them to go to work. Why? For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. I'm telling you, all throughout Scripture, that's the most comforting phrase that any of us will ever hear. No matter what situation you may go through, whatever may, be, may, may just be coming at you 110 miles an hour and you don't know how to take it, let me tell you something. The Lord is with you. This is what I um, covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house, what's it say, will be greater. Did you see that? Did you hear that? The glory of the present house will be greater, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. Now, what do you think the world needs right now? You just saw it. Peace. What do you think we need as a body of Christ? What do you think we need in our homes? What do you think we need in our jobs? What do you think we need in our schools? We need the peace of God that transcends all understanding, that it will guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We need the peace of God spoken over us in this nation. And the Bible says that I will fill this place with peace. Now you say, Pastor, let's not over-spiritualize this, right? This is a story in Haggai. We can't replace words like this house with the Southern Hills Church of God. We can't replace the word this house with the, the, the nation, right? And, and I say yes, God was speaking directly to the house of that time, of that, spe uh, uh, of, of that season. God was speaking directly to the season in which they were in. But can I tell you today that we can draw comparisons to their season? With the one that we're in now. And yes, I believe that God gives us these so that we can read them, we can look at them, we can learn about them so that they teach us. And God reminds us that if I did it once, then I'm the God that can do it again. And so, yes, I believe he spoke this over that church and over that season. But I believe in the God of once more. I believe in the God of I can do it again. And if we take the same transcript of what's going on and apply it to the season that we're in right now, I believe God can fill this place once more. Amen. 
If there's anything more than I want right now is for God to do it once more. To bring the glory back to this house. To bring peace back to this house. And I believe we're in, a, we're in a season right now where when the scripture says, I will once more shake the heavens, we're entering a season of God shaking the heavens once more to send revival back to our land. I want to preach to you today for just a little while on a sermon called Once More. Would you pray with me, God? Be with your servant today. Speak to me. I can't do this alone. This message is too heavy for one man to speak by himself. God, I need your angels to surround me. I need your presence to surround me. God, lift me up and let me preach like a man anointed on fire for you. God, I pray that you do with Moses. I will be your mouth when you speak. God, be my mouth. Speak as you please today. Let me be your servant. God, I pray that for everybody in the house that you'd open up our mind to know, that you'd open up our ears to hear and our eyes to see the truth of your word. God, let your will be done in this place. And everybody said amen. And amen. One of the greatest joys that a minister of the gospel can experience is to see his ministry bearing fruit. Right? One of the greatest joys in any individual's life is to see fruit. You know, I, I, I you know, want so bad to see my children bear the fruit. I so much want to see my children, all three of them, experience the changing power of Jesus Christ. And I won't take a lot of time right now because I want to get into this word. But, but I, I think back to a Wednesday night back in January. I shared the testimony through an email. And I shared it on Wednesday night about how bad of shape that my back was in. Two, um, a bulging disc. One sitting right on a nerve giving me enormous back pain. Two nerve blocks, uh, um, chiropractors here and, chiro- and thoughts of surgery and all this stuff. And nights where my wife would have to carry me to bed and I just couldn't take the pain any anymore. And one Wednesday night, January of this year, we're in a 21 days of prayer. And right out in that lobby, there's a prayer wall. And my then seven-year-old son walked up, grabbed a piece of paper and wrote or my daddy on a piece of paper and hung it up on that wall and he looked over at me and said daddy it's done the faith of a child nine months later I can tell you there's been no more back pain it's been completely healed I'm telling you it can happen to you too God is a God of once more Of I can do it again. Let me tell you what was going on right here. The fruit of what Haggai was beginning to see is apathy was replaced by zeal. Um, Apathy was replaced by by just wanting everything from God. Self-centeredness had given place to God-centeredness. Worldly mindedness was replaced by spiritual mindedness. Ungratefulness was replaced by gratefulness. And spiritual things took priority over earthly things. That's what was going on. And 
And of course, when you have people who are committed to serving the Lord, what happens? Satan is at work trying to do what he can to hinder or to stop whatever God is doing. That's why I've always had it told to me. It's always been preached to me that when the enemy is working against you, you're doing something right. That means God is working in you and all the enemy's doing is he's scared. And he's trying to, to hurt what God is doing in your life. So let me tell you something. That's why James says to take joy when you go through many trials. Because that means you're right where God wants you to be in the hands of the almighty God. And when things start coming against you, all I've got to say is may his peace be with me. May his glory be with me. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper in the name of Jesus. One of Satan's primary goals is to hurt the cause of God in whatever way that he can. The evil one has many weapons in his arsenal that he uses as appropriate with a view to achieving his aim. And sometimes he uses opposition as he did in this case. Sometimes he tries to stir up division within the ranks of his people. Sometimes he uses compromise as a tactic. Or sometimes God uses discouragement. Discouragement is a tactic that the enemy can use to get you off of God's plan. He knows that if he can get the people of God to become disheartened and discouraged in their efforts, then he is well on his way to achieving his evil plan. And let me tell you something, when you find it in your heart that you're just a little bit discouraged, it's in that moment where you don't just shut up and give in. That's time to get back on your knees and get back in your prayer closet and say, God, I will not allow that mindset in, in me. I will not allow that mindset in my home. And if it means I've got to take it to the throne room, then by God, you better believe that I will. Because discouragement has no room in my home. And discouragement has no room in his house. What was the reason for them to be just upset? Haggai chapter 2, 3. Who of you is left who saw its house in its other glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? The people started to build the walls of the temple. And the structure began to take shape. And it soon became clear that the temple they were now building was but a pale shadow of the glory of the other temple. And they probably thought to themselves, well, if I can't have it like it used to be, and if I can't have it like it was, then maybe I just need to stop building again. They were so discouraged at the word. So what was this other temple that they were trying to compare it to? Because that word compare, one of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to play the comparison game. Well, I'll never be the husband that he is. I'll never be the dad that he is. I'll never be the pastor that he was. Let me tell you something. When discouragement and comparison get in the heart of a believer of God, the enemy has won. That's why we've got to do everything we can to get it out. What was this other temple? It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. It was a magnificent building. It was the temple that Solomon had built. The, the, um, it, it, it was described as the walls paneled with cedar wood, overlaid with pure gold. 
Some of the doors were made of olive wood and were decorated with hand-carved cherubim. Palm trees and open, it was just this open plan and overlaid in gold. Others were made of pine and carved and covered. All the stones of the temple were dressed and polished. There were brass pillars, gold lamps, and so on and so on. A beautiful temple. It was one built for the season that it was in. It was a beautiful temple. It was one of the most beautiful buildings of the ancient world. Far more beautiful than what we would see in in in. in that we would see in, in the Taj Mahal. It soon became obvious that they, what they were erecting was a far cry from what the temple had once been. So what they began to do is they began to compare the past. And they began to get discouraged. The people began to voice their dismay as they drew comparisons with that of the past. It was nothing like the good old days. Was there really any point in continuing the work? Would this second-rate building not simply be a constant reminder of of what we lost all those years ago? In all probability, the words in chapter 2 Verse 3, where it says, does it not seem to you like nothing? It was actually God repeating the very words or at least the sentiments of some within, the, within this um, world. The, the building was nothing like the old one. We remember the good old days. It's not like it used to be. It was very negative, very negative attitude which while it originated among just a few ended up going to the many. And they became so discouraged that they almost stopped the work again. I see it all the times in churches that I've been to and worked at and all these things. That I even see it in church culture today that the work of God in the present can easily be stopped by people who have a negative mindset. There are many things that can discourage us in the work of the Lord. And one such source is looking back to and comparing and seeking to do in our day what was done in the past. Look, we honor the past. We respect the past. We do everything we can to rejoice over what God has brought us. Because none of us would be here today if it weren't for all the years that people have prayed and slaved over this church. Okay, But let me tell you something. My mission and my job is to not to, rem- not to reminisce on what used to be. But rather my job is to take us where God wants us to be. We think about Peter. On the day of Pentecost and bringing the message of salvation to the people. And how over 3,000 people were saved on one day. We think to the beautiful pictures of the New Testament church. What Luke gives us in Acts. But instead of unity within the church we see division. We see people pitted against each other. Instead of Christians being hungry for the teaching and the community and for prayer, we choose to stay away and engage in other pursuits. We look back to those days and we think about the time of the Great Awakening under men like Whitfield and Wesley. Churches were packed. Hundreds came to prayer meetings. And let me tell you something. When I was younger, I never remembered the church being empty. I remember my wife and I talk about it all the time. We were at church on Sunday morning, church on Sunday night, prayer meeting on Monday, drama practice on Tuesday, church on Wednesday, revival on Thursday, and I'm telling you, choir practice on Friday. There was something going on every day of the week. And I understand we're in what we call a COVID culture. 
But can I say this, and I hope you love me. I hope you love me, but I'm going to go ahead and go there today. If there's a message I wish I could tell America, it would be this. If we can go out to eat, and if we could go to the mall, and if we could go to all of, 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 of the games to and work every day, then we can come to church. We can go to church. They were discouraged. But there is a timing of what was going on that was so important on why they were being discouraged. The enemy was at work. We see that. Watch. When we compare verse 1 of chapter 2 with the closing of chapter 1. In chapter 1 we see, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Notice the date that's about to come next. The 24th day of the sixth month. Then I want you to note the day that Haggai came with the next message. It was on the 21st day of the seventh month. In less than one month, the enemy got them so discouraged that they quit the work that they came back to do yet again. They started, had a zeal. They stopped. Haggai comes in. They begin again, and they're excited. And less than a month later, they stop. They stop. Let me tell you something. Satan is our adversary. Satan is against the things of God. Satan didn't waste his time in seeking to dampen the renewed enthusiasm among God's people. It seems that as soon as he saw that the people were giving themselves again to God's work, he, got, he, he then got onto the ball and became proactive in his efforts to stop them. It seems her, his, his tactics were hit them early on before the work gets going. He didn't want this renewed spiritual to, to go on for any length of time unchallenged. The, this commitment that they had must be dampened before it got out of control. So he lost no time, wasted no time in trying to stop the work of the temple. You know, I was talking to somebody this past week about sports. And I've always heard the phrase, defense wins championships. Right? And we hear it and we believe it, but we have to score to win the game. Right? We have to have offense. We can't just not ever score and expect to win. We have to score at least once. And see, it's very important for a team that goes to battle and play that they have a balanced attack. That they're good on defense, but they're good on offense too. That they're able to stop the other team. Because let me tell you something. I saw this in my team yesterday. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. It doesn't matter how many points you score. If you can't stop the other team from, from doing it too, then your points don't matter. So you've got to learn how to play good defense. I understand that. But there comes a time in your walk with God that it says, you know what, I'm tired of just taking the punches. I'm tired of just taking the attack. I'm tired of just being tired and weary and down. It's time that I go on offense. And it's time that I have a balanced attack. And it's time that I stop the attack. But it's also time that I take the attack to Him. Because let me tell you something. When you get discouraged, 
you get off your game plan. When you get discouraged, you, you stop the work that God wants to do in your life. Let me tell you how he can do it. And it's hard to preach and it's hard to say, but I'm going to say it this morning. Because guess what? Satan often uses God's people to stop God's plan. I, I might. God, let me tell you something. Satan uses God's people to stop God's plan. When Nehemiah came to organize the, when he built the walls back, no sooner had he spoke the vision to the people and inspired them to take up the work that he met some opposition in the form of Sanballat, and Tobiah, people within his own ranks. Satan was quick to act in seeking to destroy the work that Nehemiah was about to undertake. You can be sure that when you as an individual or when we as a church begin to apply ourselves with renewed zeal, it won't be long until we experience some opposition. And if he can discourage you early on, it won't be too hard for him to take you to that next step from discouragement to inactivity. Let me tell you something though. The Bible is clear about this because we like to come in and play the play the blame game. Well, it's his fault and it's her fault. And they said this and they have done that. Let me tell you what the Bible says. For we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against each other, but principalities. Of, and rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. We don't wrestle with each other. We need each other. But Satan uses each other to stop God's plan. And we have to see it for what it is. It's not them and it's not her. I can't hold a grudge against them and I can't hold a grudge against her. But rather I've got to realize where this battle is coming from. And it's a battle straight from hell to try to get me to stop what God is doing. And I've got to see it for what it is and say no more will I allow the spirit of discouragement to stop God's work in my life. So you say, Pastor, what is the solution? Let me start getting to some positive things, okay? What's the solution to all of this? In the midst of their discouraged state, the Lord sent a message that would be a source of encouragement. The first one is this. God assured them of his presence. He assured them that I will be with you. It says in Haggai 2.4, But now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Did you hear that today? I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you, declares the Lord. They had God on their side. They realize they're not in this project all by themselves. See, the name that God uses here is defined as the Lord of hosts, the one who is sovereign over all powers that exist on earth and in heaven. He wants them to realize and understand that no one or nothing can frustrate nor defeat his purpose, that he will prevail. And let me tell you something, church, in the same of every believer in this room, God will prevail. The presence of God was a source of great comfort and encouragement to God's people. 
you have Moses who faced the journey through, uh, through uh, the desert. And when he was um, talking to uh, the people about taking them to, uh, to, uh, the, prom- to uh, the promised land, it says in his word that, that, God, that Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. He said, your presence is so strong, I don't want to be without it. When Joshua took over the responsibility of leading the people after Moses died, God said to him, The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And when the temple was being built, and and, um, David come in and encouraged them by saying, The Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. When? Until all the work is complete. Tell you something until your promise is complete in your life, the Lord will never leave you, He's always with you. Hag Haggai here is saying, Listen up, people, God wants you to know that He needs you to get back to work, but He also wants you to know, Don't worry because I'm with you and I'll never leave you. God reminded them to be strong, He never left them. What else did God do? Not only did he comfort them, but he also reminded them of his covenant promise. Watch what it says. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. God's abiding presence with them was part of the covenant promise that he had given them. He would be with them because he was working out his purpose of redemption for the world through them. They were an integral component in the whole plan and they didn't know it. But what happened is the Messiah would emerge. And this temple that they were now building, the Messiah would come to that temple so they they even though they didn't know it at the time on why they were building this and they got so discouraged why do you think the enemy wanted them to stop the work because there is going to be something happen through that temple that he needed that temple because the messiah was going to be seen in that temple so satan knowing that said i'm going to pull out every stop that i can get and stop the work but enter haggai god's prophet who comes in and says but god said be strong he said get back to work because the lord is with you what's he saying there's many times in life I was telling some, some, someone if, if I could know the outcome when I made the choice, the choice would be a lot easier. Right? If I knew the outcome of this decision that I got to make, I would know today whether it be yes or no. But God says, don't worry about tomorrow, just trust me today. He comforted them. He reminded them of his promise. Three, God revealed to them of his coming purpose. Watch what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. Let me tell you something. God said he would shake the nations, and he did because the Persian Empire was replaced with the Greek During that time, the language of Greek became a universal language and it provided them a a, a good communication tactic to reach the people for Christ. The Persians were then overthrown by the Romans whose Roman, the road building meant that now the gospel could go into all parts of the entire world. So the scripture is true. When God said, I'll shake the nations, what he did was he created an avenue for his word to go forth. 
And then when the time was right, God sent his son. You see, the people in Haggai's day were engaged in a work that had an important part to play in the redemptive purposes of God. And although it seemed insignificant to them at the time, it played a vital role for grace. There might be somebody today that says, what I'm doing is so not important. They don't need me. Let me tell you something. That's the enemy speaking a lie into your life. Whether you preach the message, whether you sing on the praise team, whether you clean the bathroom, it don't, whether you just greet people at the door or hand out whatever this or whatever that, you might even be the one that everybody goes to to bake that cake that everybody knows about, right? Whatever you're doing, it has purpose for the kingdom of God. Don't give up the fight. What else did God do? Lastly, if, 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 if the band would come, God preached to them about courageous perseverance. Be strong, O Zerubbabel. Do not fear. The word translated be strong carries the idea of adopting an attitude of an unwillingness to give up. A resolve to keep on at something. And that something, <laughs> listen, that something is the fact that God's message still has to reach the nations. There are still people that we know that don't know Christ. There's still people in our community that need God. I think we've gotten COVID wrong. When COVID came, we closed our doors. Went online and did everything we thought that we should do. And don't get me wrong, we took the necessary precautions. We did things the right way. We kept people safe like we should have. But I want you to look at it from a different perspective. What did COVID do? COVID shut everything down. And it gave a platform for the church to rise yet again. And there's a message I believe that God is trying to tell the church right now. He's saying, get back to work. Do what I have called you to do. Reach the nations. But I'm discouraged, God. I can't because this is closed and that's closed and we can't do this and we can't do that. But I am with you. I will never leave you. I have already given you everything you need in your arsenal to take the message of me to the nations. And I'm saying get back to work because there is coming a time once more when I will shake the heavens and the earth. And I want my people to know who I am. Discouragement in the mind of a believer can stop the work of God in your life. Define it for what it is, a tactic of the enemy. Don't allow your mind to get to the place where you think I am not enough. I can't do it. 
But you can because God says I'll be with you. You can because God has made a covenant promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because there's a message that still has to get out. And there's a people that still needs me. And I'm telling you right now, church, it's time to get back to work. As I close out this message today, Wednesday night we watched a video called 20 Inches to Grace. It's a powerful, you, you can watch it, it's Louis Giglio. You can find it on Right Now at Media. Everybody in here has access. If you don't know how to access it, let me know and I'll help you do it. 20 Inches to Grace, it's a powerful video for this season. And I'm not going to summarize the whole thing, but he makes a point that even though we get frustrated and upset and we go through this and go through that that none of this catches God off guard God already knew what was going to happen before it happened and in his sovereign nature he's watching over it in complete control saying I'll, I'll allow it for right now but let me tell you something I will be glorified through this 20 inches to grace and what it's talking about is it's, it's talking that you are 20 inches right now from surrender you are 20 inches from grace you are 20 inches from your knees to the floor of saying God do it once more once more God and I want to do something different if you are able to today, if you're not, I understand, that's fine. You can sit right at your seat. But if you're able to, I'd love for you to take your 20 inches and get on your knees and ask God to do it once more.